So last week, if you missed it, we started a series on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is uh, what Matthew, in the book of Matthew, is the first real teachings of Christ to his followers, his disciples, um, after he called them out. It was the first time that he really sat down, and for some reason, Matthew grabbed a pen and maybe his iPad and started taking notes on what Jesus was saying. And he recorded it in Matthew 5, the very beginning of it, uh, of Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. He starts with uh, what we know as the Beatitudes, that are different things that we can experience, are kind of if-thens of faith, okay? If-thens of faith. And what we find in this scripture is that uh, Jesus is truly beginning uh, to redefine what it means to be a disciple, to be a Christ follower, because it's a very traditional thing in that time in religion and faith to be a disciple of someone. In fact, what happened is, is the rabbis, the teachers of the law, very, very cultural, very common, uh, a, 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 a teacher uh, would call out people he felt was worthy to follow him, and he would say, come follow me, and they would say, great, I've, it's an honor to be chosen as a disciple to follow a rabbi. And then they would follow them and they would learn their way of religion and their way of life. And so this was a very common thing. And so Jesus came and he called out his first disciples. And they were kind of regular dudes. They're kind of like most of us where we don't really consider ourselves really religious or worthy or whatever. In fact, these guys were fishermen. And they had regular trades and did regular life. And it seemed like apparently they might have even been passed by by other, by other rabbis. And yet Jesus came to them and said, hey, why don't you follow me? And he began teaching them a new way uh, to be a disciple. And that it meant something different to be a follower of Christ than it meant to be a follower of maybe a legalistic person or a hyper-religious person or whatever. And so he began to redefine what it meant to be a disciple. And in that time, in that time period, what had happened is faith very easily had become a show. And church, if you were to call it that, had become something that's kind of superficial at times. And I think the people felt the urge to um, maybe act a certain way, even though they didn't feel that way. And they probably felt the pressure to dress a certain way and carry themselves a certain way. And most certainly they felt like they had to behave a certain way in order to be accepted. And, and uh, all these pressures to put this stuff on the outside, this kind of veneer of religion that really wasn't in the heart. There was this pressure to do that, to act like you understood stuff you really didn't. I'm just so glad that's not the church today, aren't you? Yeah, that was a joke. Um, so he was redefining he was redefining it. And so we gave three things last week. I got to catch you up. We gave three things that, were, that Jesus was doing. The first was that he, he changed the posture of what it meant to be a disciple. That it wasn't about, hey, look at me, I'm awesome. It was more of a servant. It was more of a work on our heart. It's more, let's do this together. Uh, Jesus expanded, number two, Jesus expanded their expectations of what it meant to be a follower of Christ. Meaning, what they hoped to get out of it. He, he went from, everyone's going to like you and think you're awesome because you're so religious, to... Uh, yours is the kingdom of heaven, and you will inherit the earth, and all these amazing, really big things that are God-sized. And so he increased their expectations, but the last thing we talked about was that he also increased their self-awareness and said, listen, where we have to start is where we are, where you are. 
that you can't just pick up where you think everyone else is or where you're supposed to be. It only happens by taking a moment to really evaluate and being honest with ourselves so that then we could be honest with God. Because he already knows, right? And that's an amazing process that we go through of self-realization of, okay, I really do struggle with this in faith. Okay, I really do not understand this in faith. And to go, okay, Jesus accepts me there and says, okay, let's just start growing from there instead of pretending we're somewhere uh, we are not. So those were the three ways that we mentioned that Jesus was changing what it meant to be a disciple or a follower of him um, as rabbi. And we talked about the fact that as you look through these Beatitudes, if you haven't read them, uh, we're not going to read through all of them today, but it was saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. All these blessings, all these things, okay? And when we hear these things, we, we need to understand that these, if you were to really look into how this was written, it's not saying that it's a static blessing, meaning it's not a fixed blessing, that you experience it and that's it and it's over, but more so that it's a progressive blessing. That there's something, something happening, communicating more of a journey in our life that happens. That it's progressive and it kind of builds on itself. All right? And we, we dug into that a little bit more, but it's very important that we understand that. And that lastly, that when it says, blessed are the blank, that the word blessed does not mean charmed. It does not mean lucky. It does not mean... You stumble on something and, oh, that accidentally happened. Blessed means fully satisfied. Even saying that to me, I'm like, oh, I need some of that, don't you? I mean, you could just go, what areas of my life do I not sense that? Oh, wow. It, maybe it's easier to give the list of the things that I do sense it in because I don't know that I'm fully, fully Satisfied, but it's saying that these are the things that are, can be a progressive fruit of walking with and following Christ. In fact, in Ephesians 3, Paul is writing the church at Ephesus a letter. And he says, I need you to understand. I want you to understand. I want you to experience this fullness of the full measure of God. He says, I want you to understand this. I want you to begin to pursue this and, and, and know what this can feel like. Because it's just amazing. And he goes on to say what it's about. And he says... This fullness comes, essentially, he says, that it's a love that surpasses all knowledge. Uh, so, again, our bent is to want to know information and grow in understanding and all this stuff. But our problem is, is we like to keep it in our brain and we forget to put it into our heart. We don't really know how to do that. We don't know how to absorb it and make it a part of our life. And it was the same problem they were dealing with in religion then. That Jesus came to give a new way. That he came to say, it's less about you doing everything right, because I know you can't. And we can't. And it's more about the heart and the intention and the journey towards God changing our hearts. All right? And so this fullness is so very, uh, so very important. Fully satisfied. So it, it says this. Jesus had, had been walking around doing amazing miracles and the crowds began to gather around. In verse 1 it says, Now he saw the crowds. He went on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. So there's his disciples and all these people. But I believe he was teaching his disciples. And he began to teach them saying, First of all, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Last week we were reminded the phrase bless uh, a poor in spirit. Simply means spiritual poverty. 
And not the kind of poverty where if you just go get a better job, you can get out of it. The kind of poverty where you don't even know where to start, where you simply cannot. It's that extreme poverty, that level where you cannot help yourself. And the only way you're going to break out of that cycle is if someone else reaches down and grabs your hand and helps you up. So what it's talking about when we understand our depravity, understanding that there's nothing you and I can do, right, to gain the right to stand before God in heaven. We can't, we can't do it. We can't earn it because none of us are good enough. Um, we talked about that, that what it's saying is that we are blessed, okay? It is the beginning of being fully satisfied when we understand our spiritual depravity because it is the beginning of salvation right there. It's the beginning of understanding then our need for Jesus and then ours is the kingdom of heaven. That's what we discussed last week. So it goes on in verse 4. It goes on to the very next thing, and it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. How many of you guys ever mourned something? Raise your hand, seriously. I mean, mourned it. What do you think? And I, I, I'd love for some answers. What, what do you think? Uh, what do you think this is saying? Blessed are those who mourn. What? What are we mourning? What are the kinds of things you think it's, it's talking about here? Anybody have an idea? Loss? Hurt? What else? Brokenness? Brokenhearted? Those are real, real feelings, aren't they? What else? What have you mourned or what are you? Okay, broken relationships. Yeah. Sometimes we don't even realize how much we mourn broken relationships what else death yeah pardon me injustice good what else fear mourning fear i think it's a good one because we don't realize how much fear keeps us from accomplishing what we can grasp and go out to what else Mourning yourself in what way? Hmm. That's good. No, that's terrible. That's wrong. No. That's, that's really, that's good. What else? Mourn regret. I mean, has anything been said yet that anybody just goes, it, everyone's just, oh, yeah, I see all your heads now. Oh, yeah. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. No one's going. Pfft. What else? Okay, when you feel out of control and you can't fix something or, okay, I don't know what that feels like, but anyone else? What else? Okay, even disappointment, unmet desires, expectations, disappointment, what else? Huh? Loneliness? Loneliness, good one. Yes? Fear of the unknown. What else do we mourn? Hopefully so. The inability to help others. And it's sad if we really grieve or mourn the inability to help others, if that's really where we are. If we don't have that, then why would we ever help? That's good. What else? Oh. (laughs) 
What else? Being misunderstood. Good. Missed opportunities. Yeah. Coach would have just put me in. We'd want state. (laughs) Got one. Well, that was my goal. Okay, I'm done. Everybody go home. Those are all, I mean, those are great. It almost felt like, um, does this sound weird? It almost sounds therapeutic, doesn't it? Doesn't it kind of feel that way too? Just talk through that. We're all jacked up. I think the answer, if we were to say, are those good answers or no, which ones are the best answers? The answer is yes. Uh, I think it really is. Um, so let's look at this scripture. I want to look at this. I want to look at two words in this scripture, and, th- and that's all for the rest of our time today. The first one is mourn, what it means in this scripture and in this context, what Jesus is doing here. Uh, and the second, what it means to be comforted, because it's very, it's very important. Um, I mean, Jesus just sat here, and he's saying, I'm changing all the rules, and here's what I want you to do. First, I want you to start to understand how spiritually impoverished we are. And he says, secondly, I want you to understand how important it is that we mourn. Because then when we mourn, that is when we're comforted. We don't understand that because when we're really mourning, that's when it really feels sometimes like God's not there, doesn't it? And I kind of go, well, what does that mean? So, God, where'd you go? You ever seen that? I, I do. I, it's, it's cheesy, but I love the, the, uh, the footprints poem. You've seen that? You know? It's like, God, why'd you leave me? I only saw one foot, set of footprints in the sand in those tough times. And, and ultimately it comes back and said, those were the times where I carried you. Um, we don't even understand it. But I think getting at the heart and the core of it is, is very important. And, and Jesus is saying, this is so important. It's going to be the second thing, progressively, that I want to talk about. Okay, So, first of all, um, to mourn, if you were to look at this text, it, it, it literally means to feel grief. Okay, That doesn't sound that profound. But it really is when you think it's not just to, um, to say something or whatever. It means to feel it. Emphasis on the feel. To feel grief. To feel broken about it. To feel in, in, the, in your soul, in your, in your heart, that there's something going on that's deeper that sometimes you can't even put words to it. You ever do that? You find yourself, you're trying to explain to somebody what the heck's going on, and you're just like, we don't even know where to start. You know, how long you got? Um, but when you just feel it in your soul, and you just feel in your guts, whatever it is, that it's just everything uh, that you have. The first thought, to mourn means to feel grief. And especially in relationship to the, that results to feeling sorry. And I'm going to connect the two here. Feeling sorry. There's two, two kinds of sorry. I, lear, I've, I keep learning this. I'm more reaffirmed. There's two kinds of sorry, right? I'll give you two illustrations. One as a parent and then one as a spouse. Okay? Two kinds of sorry. As a husband, um, I've realized when Jen and I are, you know, I know it's a surprise to you. Every now and then there's a little of this, a little tension. And uh, if we get an argument or whatever, and there needs to be an apology, and there needs to be a sorry, there are two kinds of sorry. The one that is really like, I stink. I'm sorry. Can't believe I, I can't believe I can't believe I did that. I can't believe, I, you know, I, I'm really sorry. And then there's the other kind that means shut up. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about. That's 90% of the sorries in marriage. It's like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm, okay, I'm sorry. Whatever. Just stop talking. You know. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe friendships, whatever. You guys, that is a laugh of recognition. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, Alex. I get it. Hey, yeah. 
Um, you know what I mean? There's two kinds. Are those, two, those are two drastically different. One of them don't even, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even count. And then as a parent, okay, uh, maybe just as a child or whatever, there's two kinds of sorrow. The same kind of sorrow where you deeply feel it. You're like, oh, I've messed up. Um, I've, had a, I've had a couple of my kids actually, hey, Gaff, where you at? Um, when we've given punishment, actually come back and say, I deserve more than that. And you kind of go, okay, don't, it will no longer work. Now that you know. But you really know that there's something really there that he's really repentant and really sorry. And then there, the other kind of sorry is, is, you know what kind? It's a sorry I got caught. We know what that is too. We actually know that's, we have that kind of sorry in marriage too. So, um, so it's two kinds of sorry and two different kinds of things. This word mourn is used exactly in this context only two other times in scripture. It's both found in Revelations 18. And it's interesting that it's in Revelations because that's a, really a book of end times that, where we see how judgment happens. And it's used in this context that one day when we stand before God and we really understand all that he is and all that we're not, we really stand before him. And all of our, our ways are exposed. There's going to be a moment when not only we realize that he knows what we've done and, and who we are and whether we've pursued him or not. And there's going to be a moment, I think it's going to be just as profound, when we realize all the areas we thought we were right and we were wrong. And the word used here says, in that moment of full disclosure in our own heart, we're going to sit back and we're going to feel very small. And we're going to realize what we've done and how we stand and how arrogant we really are and how much we think it's about us, how much we've made. So many things. The good thing is, in Christ, you, you know the answer to that. But there's going to be that moment that we're still, we're going to mourn it. And we're just going to stand before a holy God. And we're going to kind of go, wow. And we're going to feel it in our soul. And there'll be no excuses. You know what I mean? And what I believe as a Christ follower is that moment is going to be very profound for us. But then it's the first time we're going to fully understand the love and grace of God. Because he's just going to go. I know you knew this. I knew this day would come. And I love you. You know, come to me. So when we talk about feeling, the grief feeling mourn, there's a couple things scripturally that we actually mourn. Okay? And I, I give three things. Words don't capture fully. But let me give you three things I think that this is reminding us of Jesus telling us to mourn. First of all, we mourn our depravity. And it kind of goes back to verse 3 that said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. I think we need to mourn the fact. We need to come to that place where we kind of realize we're, we're broken. Okay? spiritually we cannot do enough and maybe even realize that we've gone to church some of us we've gone to church all our lives or maybe we've kept god at arm's length all our lives or whatever we've done all these things thinking we're gonna go somewhere spiritually with that and we never do we need to stop back and we kind of need to mourn that moment and go okay and realize where we really are that's what verse three is talking about kind of our our depravity really speaking of our condition of helplessness all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god that's in the bible but God demonstrates his love for us, also in the Bible, for while we, are yet, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's a phrase called propitiation, and what that means is that Jesus took our place. That's why the cross was necessary. Because if God is a just God, something has to happen. He can't just go, oh, forget it. Something has to happen. And Jesus takes that place. And we, we grieve that moment. We grieve our sinful nature. 
We did a series called um, Knowing a few weeks, a couple months ago, which is really all the doctrine. It's really a pretty in-depth doctrine series on what we believe and why. Uh, and we talked about this place of understanding our depravity and understanding where we really are spiritually with God. And it helps us understand why we need Christ instead of can't we all just get along and if I'm a good person, I can deserve heaven. Um, it kind of walks through that and it just reminds us that we are born into the headship of Adam who sin came into the world because of. It's not just our individual sin. There is individual sin and that would have been enough to separate us from God, but we're born into this. And you go, well, how is that? How is that fair that we're born into uh, in this, this sinful nature because of Adam? And, and the truth is, is how does it ever f- seem fair that anyone is born into poverty? This child who grows up in this abusive situation and, and has to beg and steal for food from the moment they could want food. Um, that's where they are. It's, it's their condition. They're, they're born into that and they need a hand. We're in the same, we're, we're born in depravity. And, and I think we are supposed to mourn that, that place and mourn that reality that we're separated from a holy God. It's just our condition. But there's good news, you know, but it starts understanding why we need the good news, okay? So to mourn our depravity. The second one really is to mourn, I think we need to mourn our neglect. To mourn um, our neglect. And, and uh In the book of James, he's writing and he says, um, he says, if any of you know the good you ought to do and fail to do it, you sin. And I take that and I go, wow, I've always thought, you know, I'm following these rules. Look at all the good stuff I'm doing. Is the good bigger than the bad? Okay, great. My life's in balance here, whatever. And we also have this nature to compare ourselves with other people. It's like, God, you know, I know I mess up, but look at that guy. He really messes up. And so I must be okay, right? And God's like, no, forget about them. It's, it's between you and me. But we do need to realize what we don't do, what we do neglect. That was the greatest indictment on the nation of Israel. All these things they did, but all these things they didn't do when it came to the poor and those in need. And Chris Marlowe, who was the founder of Help in Local Poverty, came and shared a couple of weeks ago. How many of you guys, you remember? You don't have to raise your hand. You remember him? One of the things I loved about it is I listened to his message online uh, because I wasn't here. One of the things I loved that I heard is he said, listen, I'm not, I don't want to talk to you from a perspective of you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. He says, I want to talk to you from a perspective of repentance and confession that I have lived my whole life as a believer and done nothing about those who are in need. He said, and so my whole ministry, my whole life now is because of this. I've realized, and he has deeply mourned what he has not done. He has deeply mourned what he has not pursued. He has deeply mourned that, and he's grieved that. Again, moving from the action and what we do to our heart. Okay, what Jesus is doing here is he's helping us understand where we are, helping us move into the place where we understand how significant it is. And the reason, I'll let you know, We'll flip to the end of the book is because there's good news. He gives a solution for it. But if we don't understand our need for it, why would we understand our, our need for this? Why would we receive that on the other end? So mourn our depravity, our condition. The last part there is to, is to uh, mourn our, I'll just say this, mourn our fallen world. Our, you know our world is broken, right? Um, I believe in God's sovereignty. Um, it, one day we'll understand how that's happened. But our world is very broken. It doesn't take much to go and look at what's going on in our world. And 
There's a personal brokenness, what happens between one another when we hurt each other. And there's just terrible things that, that goes on in the world. But then there's also this brokenness that this thing that is because of sin in the world has just spun into whether that's natural disasters or whatever that we can't fully comprehend. We have to understand that it's a result of brokenness and that this world needs to be restored and that God has a plan for that, okay? And so there's this chaos. And what happens in that, what happens in that is it becomes very personal. And all the things we talked about become the fruit of that, that we hurt so bad. And that we don't understand so much. And that we struggle so much. Jesus is saying that when we come back and we just kind of realize, wow, this is a broken world. Yes, I am a broken person. Yes, this is what's going on. That then we begin to understand the greatness of what is ahead of us. And so here's the good news. It says the people who mourn, the people who grieve, what? That they will be comforted. You know, the word comforted there literally means, in your outline, it literally means to be uh, called for. To be called for. It it comes from two words uh, in the Greek language. Um, One is para, which just means call. And the second is, is kaleo, which means side. So you put them together. And it's saying that in these moments, when we recognize what's going on, that that is when God calls for us to his side. Last night, um, a couple of friends uh, went over to Jason Certain's house. Where's Jason? Anyways, we were hanging out, and it was getting late, and our kids were playing, and they were all, there was like 87 children on the uh, hammock, and they were treating it as a swing. They were going, I'm like, heads are going to literally roll here in a minute. You know, they're going to, something's going to happen, and, and um, it was all going pretty well and everything. And then Jason's youngest daughter, um, something happened. I, I don't even know what happened. But she just, she got in this moment where she just began to cry and, and just was, was struggling with something. And um, she instantly came to Jason. And Jason just took her to his side and was walking down the patio and just sat down in the rocking chair. And then she climbed up into his lap and he just rocked her. And the cry began to go away. And I was all kind of sitting there going, well, what's happened? I'm like, is she hurt? Did something happen? Someone else hurt her. Did she get hurt? Um, Is she just up too late? She's young and just cranky from the day because that's how it is. Was there something that she thought was an injustice that really isn't because she doesn't get what's going on? What, you know, what? And then it kind of struck me. It just really doesn't, really doesn't matter why she's in this moment. But what matters is that she needed her dad. And that he was there to call for, call for her and bring her, and she was comforted. I think sometimes we get stuck into the, why do I need this comfort? Why do I mourn so much? Did this happen to me? Is it my fault? Did I mess up? I didn't mess up. You messed up. Whatever. But we get in that place where we don't understand, and we concentrate so much on how we got there, and whether we're right or they're right or God's right or he's whatever, that we concentrate on that instead of concentrating on who is the one who is ultimately going to pull me out of this and who really wants to. And God is saying, when you mourn, you understand where you are, that I will call you to myself. And I will be the source of your comfort. It says, blessed, fully satisfied, regardless what our mourning 
point is that it's only going to be found there. It's only going to be found in that moment. So to be comforted means to be called for, specifically called first to the Father's side. And when we're called to something, I want you to understand that there are really three conversions of the faith. Now, this starts to sound new agey, doesn't it? It's not, I promise you. There's three conversions that we need to understand. The first is the conversion to faith. Well, we become a follower of Christ. We understand what that means. And then there is a calling, literally a conversion to the body of Christ. That we feel called into because God has set it up so that we are together as the body of Christ as the church. We are called to the church. The second is conversion to a mission. That then Christ turns that around and says, now I want you to be at a part of sharing this hope with others that you know and you don't know that need it so bad. All right? And so there's this calling also to him, but also to what he is doing. And so the last two things, there's a call to the Father's side, and then there's a call to goodness, a call, there's an exhortive nature of this calling. There's a call to goodness where there's this call uh, um, of life purpose and there's this call of pursuit of significance. There's this thing that's happening. And then there's the call of encouragement. The third thing, the call of encouragement. And if you were to look up this word comforted, it means literally the definition says to call for or to, to exhort to encourage. Those are the three things this really is intending that God has for us when he calls us in this moment. That he encourages us both towards himself and then also uh, to community and his bride. Let me explain this to you. You are not called to live in this life in isolation. The body of Christ exists for his glory. The church exists that you don't go out it alone. All right? And that's an encouragement to me. To me, there's hope in that. The problem is, is when the church is broken. I mean, like, it doesn't work right. And we make it about something it's not supposed to be about. And then we don't see hope in it. And we're like, geez, the last place I'm going to be vulnerable is the church. That's a sad thing. I, I pray to God that that is never who we're about as a church family. But I'm encouraged by this. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Starting in verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received. We cannot give away what we have not received. From God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows, and our hope for you is firm. Because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We're called to an encouragement. Here's something I want you to see. We talked about that this blessedness is not static, it's progressive. Look at the scripture that you have there, Matthew 5, 1 through 10. I think it's on the back of the outline. Look at that. Here's what Jesus is doing. He is literally laying out the gospel through, these, through the Beatitudes. The gospel means good news, but it's also this holistic understanding of God calling us back to him. He's really outlined what it takes. The verse 3, being poor in spirit, understanding our depravity he calls us towards redemption in him it says the result is the kingdom in heaven and then once we have redemption in him it says blessed are those who mourn for we're called back to god's side we are reconciled back to him 
that was once broken. Now, because of Christ, we can stand before God with all our junk, with all our messes, with everything we've screwed up in our lives, everything that's happened to us that we don't understand. We could look before God, and instead of pretending like it's not there, we could go. And he goes, I know that's there. Come here anyways. That's a beautiful thing that he reconciles us back. And we'll begin to see next week, blessed are the meek and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness as he begins to restore us back and give health back into our lives, into our purpose, into what's going on. That's, there's hope in that. And there's excitement in that. And then he turns it around and he said, now I want you to be merciful. And now I want you to be pure in heart towards others. And now I want you to be peacemakers as he sends us back out to be, to be ministers believe it or not, of reconciliation. That you and I get a chance to be hope to other people who don't have it. What a beautiful calling if you experience it yourself. So it's not static. It is progressive. Jesus is teaching a new way here that's hope for everyone in this room and everyone you know. It's beautiful. And I'm just so thankful for that. That's the God we serve. Let's pray.